And once we get that right, which is for me the most important thing, that they have, first of all, respect. The second one is commitment. The third one, passion. Those three ingredients are non-negotiable. Welcome into the Non-Negotiables podcast. I'm Gavin. I'm here tonight with Justin. How are you doing, Jazz? Hey, hey. Hello, mate. Um, so we ended the tour with uh, a good win, and that was good because I think had we lost, it would have been uh, a very different feeling to how this tour went. So let's um, let's talk about the game. I don't want to go for it forensically bit by bit, but um, let's talk about it a little bit. And the starting lineup, I thought, was very interesting. So we had... Timber in at left back. There was no Declan Rice. We found out he's got a little calf strain from what I'm hearing. It's just a uh it was just a precaution because the pitch was so bad. They didn't want to they didn't want to rest him uh risk him on the pitch. So they left him out. So Partey came in there. Jesus came back for Anketia. So um the starting lineup is Timber at left back a thing. Uh I think it's a little early to tell still, but um, I think obviously us trying it out um, means that it's in consideration. But I also think that, uh, you know, Mikel doesn't really like playing with Tierney from the start. Uh, I think he would do, you know, Saka at left back before he do Tierney at this point, you know, to start a game. Um, only half serious there. Um but it's it's definitely a possibility, and it's nice having another player like Tomiyasu that we basically can plug and play anywhere on the back line and know we're going to get uh, at least a certain amount of quality. So, I think there's there's two things about this, right? I think first off, it's clear that Arteta wants to play Timber, right? Like he wants to get him on the pitch somewhere. I think that Ben White is going to be pretty difficult to drop I think he's responded well I think he's played well every time he's played I thought he was good again yesterday he had a few scary moments in the second half um, where he had some players running at him and he was on a booking but I think overall he, he played well again I think the other thing that it says is that Mikel hasn't been over enamored with anything he's seen at left back right because I think had he been happy with Kivior at left back um, and I, I think Kivio has been the best of the players that have been tried out there. But I think had he been happy with that, I think Kivio would have started yesterday and he didn't. Um, so to me, I do think Timber at left back is going to be a thing, certainly in the short term until we get Zinchenko back from, I, I don't even know what it is because he seems to be training. He's taking part in all of the, all of the media stuff. So I, I don't know what it is with Zinchenko at this point, but I think until Zinchenko comes back, I, I do think Timber at left back could be a thing. I think um, one thing to keep in mind is that, you know, a big part of preseason, I'm not saying you're wrong, by the way, just a big part of preseason is um, familiarity with teammates as well as like fitness and seeing how people gel. So I'm not surprised to see people moved around a little bit just to get them on the pitch. Do you know what I mean? And I think that happens quite a bit. And I, I don't know if this was one of those things or if it's a possibility, but 
I feel like uh, Kivior had a pretty good game. I think he's going to want Timber to get as many minutes as possible, though, right now, just to familiarize himself with the guys. I could see him even be moved, you know, to to another position, you know, because this was, oh, never mind. No, 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 I'm wrong. But you know what I mean, though? Just about, uh, like, building chemistry, building familiarity, getting him on, out on the pitch. Um I get that. I'm just not convinced that's what it is. I, I think he wants Timber on the pitch. I think he wants to put him somewhere on the pitch. And I think left back is an area that there's a problem. And I think that's that's what it is. And I think I love Zinchenko, but we have to face the fact at this point that he missed a third of the season last year. Where he's taken no part in any of the preseason games so far this year. I just we don't know what's going on with him, but he's. I mean, it doesn't even. Uh, it doesn't even look like he's close to coming back. Yeah, and to be fair, uh, Timber, as of right now, is probably our most, you know, uh, analogous player to Zinchenko, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. I think that's what gives, it gives you that that option to come inside and support Havertz. Um, yep. Havertz had a better game yesterday, and we'll come on to him in a second. And I think one of the reasons is he had support. I, I think one of the things that Tommy Asu, Tommy Asu in isolation didn't have a bad game against Man United, he was, if you just look at Tommy Asu as, this is Tommy Asu, here's what where he was on the pitch, this is it, it looked like Tommy Asu had a good game. If you know how we play, and you look at it, then it doesn't look so good, because yeah. he just, Rice and Havertz did not get the support they needed out of Tommy Asu. Kivior gave him a lot more support when he's played, at left back. And like I said to you before, I've been very impressed with Kivior at left mm-hmm. back. A lot more impressed than I thought I was going to be. Same. He's giving yeah. them a bit more support. Um, but I, I just, I, I don't know. It's, it, I think Timber's, Timber does look like the answer there for right now, if it's not Kivior. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, we talked about this a little bit, I think when we were rumored and I said that, um, I didn't expect Timber just to walk straight into the starting lineup. Uh, I think Ben White's done a, a very good job, and Timber would kind of have to earn that spot. But I could easily see him starting at left back if Sinchenko's not fit. Um, I still think it's it's mainly between Tim, uh, yeah, Timber and um, Kivior. Yeah, but I think uh, uh, you know. Our style stays a lot more similar with Timber, I think, you know, when when Zinchenko's out. Like I said, I just think it's the I think it's the support thing. He, he just gives that midfield a lot more support, which brings us on to the next point. I mean, Havertz is our left eight, right? That is not changing. No one else is coming in. It isn't going to be party and rice with Erdegaard. That's not going to happen. Kai Havertz is our left-sided midfield player? I think right now the only one that has competition is is Smith-Rowe. And I know, I know. But Havertz got yanked at half last game. Smith-Rowe was the earliest possible sub. and I That think... was to give Smith-Rowe minutes. Like, like I, I appreciate what you're saying, and I do think Smith-Rowe will get more minutes this year than he did last year. But he's not competition for Havertz. Not right now, he's not. It would take an awful lot for Smith-Rowe to get in in front of Kai Havertz. It, it, it ain't happening before Christmas. No chance. Man, I don't know. I don't I don't know if I agree. Um, but yeah, that that that's fair. 
but I do think he's the closest competition, or really the closest competition is probably a, a Rice party. Um, but I think if we're intending to play like two attacking eights, Smith Rowe's the, the the most competition right now. That's just the way I see it. That's just the way I see it. I do not believe you are going to see Rice party and Erdogan. I just don't believe you're going to see it. I think the only way we see that is if this has gone wrong. And I think that there's we've got a start to the season that allows us to try and bed this in. And I, I just think Arteta, this is Arteta's idea and he is going to see it through. And I, I think it's going to be, um, I think it's going to be a long time before you see him come away from that. Yeah. I mean, it, it does look like that's the plan. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't know if, Hazard Havertz has like impressed that much though. I mean, he scored two goals, but he definitely looks a bit unf- unfamiliar with it. I thought he was a lot better yesterday, a lot better in that first half yesterday. I thought he was actually one of our one of our better players in that first half, and 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 we played quite well. It wasn't that we we played badly; we played quite well. But I thought he was one of our better players, and like I said, I think the biggest part of it was that combination play with Timber. And mm-hmm. that allowed him to get with Trossard, who, who also had a, had a very good game. So I think that combination play helped. And what did we say last? What did we say last pod? We said that. Well, I said I wouldn't play that midfield again if it wasn't with Jesus. And yeah, this is why because Jesus completely changes how this team played. Like I don't want the Eddie debate, right? We've done it to death. I don't want the Eddie debate. But what is not debatable is when Jesus plays, this team is completely different. And with Timber at left back and Jesus up front, Kai Havertz looked a completely different player because the spaces were so much smaller and he could link with other players. Well, and I think um, Trossard had a lot to do with that as well. Um, Trossard was probably my man of the match overall. Uh, last game, I thought he was brilliant. Um but he does a lot better, uh, you know, kind of coming in and combining as opposed to not that Martinelli's bad at it. I just think Trossard does it a lot more. But that's um, Trossard's game, right? He's a link yeah, player. Right. That's yeah, exactly that, that's what he's, he's a play builder. Yep. And I, I think that's why he does so good when he fills in for Jesus at, you know, the the striker position as well is because he he's so good at bringing others into the into the game and linking play and whatnot. So. Um, I, I, I agree with what you're saying. I just, I give Trossard some credit too. And and I thought Jesus, I mean, it was night and day, right? Like night and day compared to Enkedia when he was playing in the center forward role. Well, it's, I mean, we already saw it, right? We saw it yeah. last year. We we saw what we were, the, and the season just gone is now last year because I'm getting myself confused. But yeah, the season before that, what we saw the year we finished fifth, right, is that... Uh-huh we desperately needed some sort of forward. Jesus came in and it transformed the team overnight. We've already seen it. This isn't anything new. The difference between the last couple of games is that is what we look like with and without Jesus. Like if Jesus is injured for any long period of time, I'm telling you right now, if we don't buy anyone between now and the start of next season, if we, if Jesus is out for any period of time, we have zero chance of winning the title. Zero. Hmm. I mean, I just, uh, you know, I mean, maybe you're right. I mean, he definitely helps a lot. I mean, and I do think he's transformative. I think um, there were periods last year, though, where I was almost more impressed with what Trostard was doing in the striker role than Jesus. Um, But we were playing worse. Like, I I do agree with you. I think Trostard did very well filling in 
But mm-hmm. it's one of them things where I think you can get away with it for a couple of games, and I don't think you can get away with it any longer than that. When Jesus was in and playing well, we were a better team than when Trossard was doing it. Like it says it in the results. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's absolutely true. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, we were we were flying before uh, World Cup, basically. Yeah, and then we come back. Yep. Jesus misses the first couple of months. Then when he comes back, he's got to get back up to speed again. So really, I mean, I know he was back in what the end of March. He got back, but when you think he's had at that point, he's been out for nearly five months, and then you've got to get back up to speed. We really didn't get Jesus back last year. We got the ghost of Jesus back at the end of last year. So yeah. I think, you know, I, I agree with you. And I think Trossard is a fantastic player. I think he's 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 a great player to have as the first man up for any position across that front line. I think it's great. But I think there is quite a large difference between Jesus and Trossard there. But Trossard looks very good, doesn't he? Like, that's the thing. Trossard looks the part. When you see the way he moves, the way he picks the ball up, the way he combines with people, it, it, it just looks so good. It really does. Yeah, he's... Um... He's a bit Cazorla-like. It is. He's 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 kind of Santi-like, the way he moves and combines. Yeah, no, I agree. I was thinking that too. I heard somebody uh, on Reddit today, I heard somebody say he's like an amalgamation of of Cazorla and like peak Arshavin. And I I see it. Like, uh, But yeah, definitely Cazorla-like in the way he moves, the way he links, um, just kind of his you know, stature on the pitch and stuff like that. It's it's crazy. It it just, yeah, reminds me of Santi completely. And the way that he, the way he took both his goals last night and the way he, he, you know, just the way he's played in general, but the way he took both his goals were fantastic. And, and, you know, the left footed one into the bottom corner, that's again, that's the combination that, that Jesus gives you when he's the front man. That's a long ball that he's got no right in winning. And he does. And I, I just think that's what you, we are at our best when Jesus is up there and it can be Trossard or it can be Martinelli out there. It's kind of the new Smith Rowe and Martinelli, right? Because you're kind of comfortable with, with either one. To me, yeah. Martinelli's got the much higher ceiling. I would rather see Martinelli play and I yeah. would rather see, I would rather, I would rather see Trossard coming off the bench for a couple of reasons. One of the reasons is, is because he can come on for three or four different players. Whereas yeah. I think Martinelli is very much, a left-sided forward. I don't, I don't think Martinelli is a centre-forward. I know we've had this debate before as well, and again, I don't want to recover that ground, but I think he is a left-sided forward, whereas Trossard is harder to pigeonhole because I would say he's more of a link player than any sort of set position. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, and I, I think uh, that's part of his value in, in being like a substitute is that he can come on and, you know, yeah, like you said, four or five different positions and be at least a six out of 10, no matter what, you know. Well, he's impactful, right? We always say about Eddie not not making an impact off the right. bench. And, yeah. and Trossard does make impacts off the bench. Yeah, he makes a huge difference, yeah. And we've seen it time and time again. He proves it over and over again. Um, back post Kai, it's a thing. Mm-hmm. Looks that way, yep. Yeah, he's the way he sneaks in at the back post and gets, and there was a couple. Saka chipped one over, and he he couldn't quite get his head on it. It was just in front of him, which that would have been uh, that would have been a great goal. That when Saka went on the outside and clipped about his right foot, mm-hmm. and then of course the goal. That goal wasn't an accident. He's coming in on that back post for a reason, and he's there again. I think this is. I can see us. I can see him getting ten, twelve league goals from this. It is really interesting because even though I kind of thought Chelsea misused him for the most part when he was at 
you know, center forward. I think he he's learned some things. The ghosting on the uh, on the back post and just some more striker like positions. But you know, he's he's pretty tall. He's got a you know good percentage of wins with his head. I mean, it, it's kind of the perfect position for him uh, if he's going to sneak into that into the box from that left eight position. You know, my only question is, can that work when Martinelli plays? Because Martinelli also likes to attack those areas. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. I think um, just given their size difference, it does make more sense to have Havertz more lurking at the far post. But Martinelli's proved to be pretty good with his head as well. So I think that's um, that's kind of a problem you want to have, you know, having two left-sided players that are both, you know, really good in that area and trying to work something out. But if they can, like, overload the far post, I don't even know if that's the thing. But, um, you know, like, we have two huge threats over there. It's going to be uh, – that's going to be a, a, a pretty big threat on set pieces as well as just attacking from the uh, right. And this just goes back to what we've been saying, that it's just going to take a while with all these players playing together to, to be able to get that. I, I just feel like Trotsard is probably easier to come in and, and play alongside do you know what I mean? Like, I, I just feel like if you come in and you can drop anyone in alongside Trossard and mm-hmm. immediately because of the type of player he is, he can combine with them. I think with Martinelli, you have to learn that a little bit, apart from Jesus who seemed to have that with him naturally. But like you saw it when when Eddie was up there when they really couldn't couldn't get it together. Um, and I just, I, I wonder with Havertz and Martinelli, I think it just might take a little bit of time for them to really get used to each other's games. Yeah, I agree with that. And, uh, you know, uh, I mean, it makes sense. I said on the last pod that, um, you know, Havertz is essentially learning how to be a midfielder again. And um, I think he's doing okay, but I do think it's going to be a a little slow. And then, as you pointed out, Martinelli's kind of a a unique player in the sense that there definitely needs to be some, like, familiarity there, I think. Um, But I'm not too worried about it. Again, it's part of the... Uh, the plus of getting all our main signings in early and having them for the, you know, the whole of preseason. And uh, I know we're already kind of ticking down towards the end, but uh, I, I think it'll be, I think we'll be fine by the time we get there. Yeah. I'm not overly concerned about it. I, I think, I mean, Havertz has looked good there for the most part. He had a bad game against Man United. Everybody had a bad game against the, against Man United. It was just a bad day at the office. It was a hot, day and a bad pitch and it was just one of them where, where nothing really came off so I'm not I'm not overly worried about that one I thought he was excellent um when he came on against MLS I thought he was pretty good in the Nuremberg game for the most part I thought he was really good again in the first half yesterday he scored the goal he could have had a couple more so I'm not I'm not worried about it I, it's just going to take time to bed in I mean you know Mikel said 55 games I, I don't think we've got 55 games no, we definitely don't. Yeah, but I'm not too worried about it either, to be honest. Um, it will take a little time, but uh, I think he's already got the quality to um, make up for some shortcomings. Do you know what I mean? And I, I think he's going to be better than Xhaka offensively, no matter what. Well, when it clicks, that's what I'm interested in, because I said him and Martinelli are going to take a while to to really for their games to really gel. But when they do, my God, it could be fireworks. Because if you've got if you've got them doing that scissor motion the way that Martinelli and, and Jesus already do, and you've got Havertz's ability on the ball to go to go with it, 
that's going to, that really is going to cause some serious problems. And of course, everyone wants to double up on Saka. Well, good luck. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be big. And then you you have three players, one in like the left eight, one on the left wing and one in center forward. They could all pop up in each other's positions. You know, not that I think that'll happen a lot, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jesus drop into a left eight uh, Havertz run up to uh, center forward a, a couple times, especially if, you know, the play is going to be a cross or something like that. I think that versatility and the ability they're going to have to exchange positions is going to be hell for defenders to mark. Well, they just do that naturally. I mean, you've you've already seen, like, Jesus has always dropped deep. I mean, one of the things we said last year is sometimes he comes too deep and there's no one there. Well, now that Havertz is naturally drifting into that position as well, I just, I think that's going to happen naturally. I don't think it's anything you're going to have to tell him to do. And it, it's going to, when it clicks, and I, I, 55 games, it's not going to take 55 games. They're, they're too good of players for it to take 55 games. Now, it may not work. <laughs> you know, there's a chance that we there's a chance that we're getting overran, we're getting caught in transitions. There is always that chance that it doesn't work, but I don't think it's gonna take us fifty-five games to know if it's gonna work or not. Yeah, no. <clears throat> Sorry. Yeah, no, I don't think it's gonna take uh fifty-five games or anything like that. Um like you said, you know, it 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 may not work, but I think it's really promising right now. And that's not even talking about our right side where you have Odegaard and Saka who are already brilliant at, at uh, connecting. Um, I think we could have one of the top, you know, front fives in the league next year. I mean, just the combinations and stuff like that they can do is going to be pretty insane. And Saka was a lot better yesterday. He looked a lot more like himself. He did. A lot yep. more lively. Um it probably helps that familiarity getting White Odegaard and Saka back together on that right hand side. Yeah. Um, I think that definitely definitely helps him a little bit. And he was absolutely roasting the Barcelona players every chance he got. Um, he was going inside, going outside. They really know what to do. He took his goal very well. That little chipped right foot finish at the front post. Uh, yeah. Sorry, I had to. I, I had to play it in my head. There was a lot of goals. Um, yeah, I thought he did really well. It was a. Uh, <laughs> it was um, uh, you know, a bit of a mistake from from Barca, but I mean, he was there putting the pressure on. Um, you know, the the whole kind of front line was pushing on him. Yeah, great goal. Uh, good anticipation. I was wondering, actually, uh, Gav, let me uh just uh bring up something different for a second. Did you happen to see that? Um. The Yuri Tielemans uh, camera. Uh, the I haven't, player. I haven't watched it. I've seen it. I've seen okay. that it's out there, but I haven't actually watched it yet. Okay, so I only bring that up because um, it actually gives you a really good idea of how like insanely fast this game is. Um, now, I mean, I've played you know football like all my life. No, it, this is a totally different thing, and I think just. It it gave I saw that this morning and it gave me more appreciation for what Saka did because his little tap just to get around like a huge on rushing goalkeeper was really impressive. Like when you actually see the pace of these guys running towards you, I would I would encourage anybody to check out the the Tielemans cam. Um, but it is really impressive. I mean, it the game the the English game is is fast. Like, yeah. Yeah, it's it, it definitely is, and that's you know that's why you kind of you're seeing teams skew younger. I think 
yeah. um, you know, physicality is, is back to being, I mean, this is what the English game always was. It just spent 10 or 12 years getting a little bit smaller, a little bit more technical. And mm-hmm. it seems now where you've now just got bigger and faster players who are also technical. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it just seems like both sides have kind of come together. And Yeah, um, Absolutely. It's yeah. yeah, it's in it's insane to watch, and I, I I will watch that cam. I did, like I said, I did come across it. Um, I just I was in the middle of stuff, and I never got a chance to watch it. But I will definitely take a look at it. Um, so after the good with Saka, we have to talk about the little bit of bad. Um, and there wasn't a lot of bad. I thought the first half he was the best player on the pitch. Um, and I thought Trossard was very good as well. And then the second half, Trossard kind of took over. Yeah. Um, but the penalty miss. So this follows on from obviously the one at West Ham. It's not just a miss, it's missing the target. Yeah. I'll be honest, I've never been overly convinced with Saka as a penalty taker. He's, <laughs> this is going to sound weird, but I think he kept the job because he scored them. Do you know what I mean? Like, like they, none of them were particularly convincing. Even the one at Stamford Bridge that he stepped up to take, you know, when when we weren't expecting it, it was almost down the middle and the keeper yeah. could have got near it. They're, they're really not convincing penalties that he takes. Do you think this is probably the end now for him as a penalty taker? I do, kind of. Yeah, and I, I hate it because you know I'm I don't I'm not gonna you know he's he's been our best most influential player for a while now. But um, and I love that he stepped up, you know, initially to to start taking pens. I think that's great, and it shows, uh, you know, some character and leadership there. I I agree though with you. I've never been super convinced about not even just his misses, but I feel like um, he's he's a bit easy to read. Um, now he's had a couple big misses. I yeah, I think it might be time to try someone else out. But the question is, Gav, I mean. Who I think we both agree that like when Jorginho's on the pitch, he's going to take him. Absolutely, like, no if Jorginho's on the pitch. He's he's taking him hundred percent. There's there's no question about it. Um, but he's the third choice, really. Defensive. But yeah, player. he's not going to be he's not going right. to be on the pitch that often. So um, I think it's one of two. I think it's Erdegaard or I think it's Martinelli. I agree. Yeah. Who do you have one you lean more towards or? So. I'm. I don't um, because I've not seen either of them take enough penalties to really judge it. From what I heard, when Saka took that ball against Chelsea to score, yep. that was supposed to be Martinelli. I heard that too. Yeah, and Saka said, "No, I'm having it." Um, that makes me wonder if Martinelli will be the taker because I think he was before Saka just decided that that was going to be his role. Um, I didn't see the penalty shootout against. Man United because I'd already, you know, I'd already. Uh, yeah, I didn't. I didn't even at that point. Yeah. Um, and, and like I said before, I was I was in a bar in Key West, so I, I was only like kind of half concentrating on it anyway. Um, but apparently, Erdegaard's penalty in that was very good, and obviously, he strikes a good ball. He takes a good free kick, so it, it makes sense. I, I don't know which way I'd lean. I, th- I think it might. I think Martinelli might get the first go at it. But I, I, I'm really, I'm pretty comfortable with with either of them. I think I'm more comfortable with either of them than I ever kind of was with Saka. Yeah, I think so too. And I think, um, you know, a, as captain, I think it's going to be, you know, kind of uh, like a lot of Odegaard's decision, especially if the management, you know, puts it between those two. I think um, whoever feels more confident to step up and take the next one, 
you know, as long as they hit it, I could see them being the pretty consistent kicker. But I, I'm with you. I, I feel pretty confident in either one of them. Yeah, I don't think it's a big a big deal which which one of them it is. We're just gonna have to see how it goes. I mean, we've we've had it throughout the years. I mean, we've we've been a pretty bad penalty taking team for ever, really. I remember Martin Hayes being a penalty taker for a while, and he had a couple of misses. And then we had Nigel Winterburn as a penalty taker, and he missed one in the League Cup final. And then it went Lee Dixon took him for a while, and then he missed a few. And it wasn't really until Ian Wright got there that we had a like a consistent penalty taker. And then obviously Thierry Henry, and Thierry Henry wasn't even the best at him. He just just took responsibility. It always bothered me when we had uh, Obama Yang and Lacazette on the pitch at the same time that Abba took the pens because Lacazette got a, yes. a brilliant rate. And it always kind of annoyed me because, you know, uh, Obama Yang missed a couple of high profile ones. Uh, his Spurs. penalties were awful. Even the yeah, ones his that penalties. went in were awful. Yep. So he was, he was never a good penalty taker. I mean, I, I think the best I've seen for us is probably Robin Van Persie. Um, as much as I don't like giving Robin Van Persie credit for anything. Yeah, um, I think he's the best I've I've seen as a penalty taker for us. But I can see I can see Erdegaard being being like that, you know, with that left foot. I, I think he's got the technique to do it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, and like I said, I'd be comfortable with either one. Didn't Fabregas took one for us with like a broken leg, right? Yeah, like yeah, I was there. That, that was Barcelona too, wasn't it? Yep, yeah, it was Barcelona. Yep, and he also did it against uh, Villa at home. He, I think, he came on a sub with. I think he had a torn hamstring. And he came on nil-nil on the hour mark. Someone might correct me, but I'm sure this was there because, again, I was at this game as well. And um, he come on and, and scored a penalty in that one, scored another one, and then I think he got subbed off injured again. But, um, yeah, Fabregas, Fabregas actually did a, did a good job of penalties as well. Yeah, he really did. I mean, I, I think I can only remember uh, one miss off the top of my head. But, yeah, he was he was really good at him. Um, but, yeah, Van Persie, I think, is the best one that I can remember in, in recent history. Really good at him in just a cannon. So the other two players that I, I want to touch on real quick. Um, one is Fabio Vieira. He's a player okay. that's, that gets a lot of sticks sometimes, and I thought he was pretty good when he came on yesterday. Um, the goal was a great strike. We know he's got that in him. We've seen him do that before. He came on again for Martin Erdegaard. Um, you know, I, I'm I'm a proponent still of, of seeing him being the cover for Saka, but I, I think he's just that primary Erdegaard backup, right? And we're going to need it and hopefully he can really kick on this season. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, he's going to have a preseason this year that he missed last year, um, which I think can be really big for a player. Um, you know, it allows you to kind of bed into a team slowly, uh, you know, find out more like what your role is going to be, what your place is going to be that he didn't really get that once the season started. Um that strike was incredible though, wasn't it? I mean, he, he, it was crazy because it had so much power on it. I feel like, but it looked like it was effortless for him. He barely hit it, you know? Um, so I was really impressed by this, by the, by the goal. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the other one is a player that's linked with him quite a bit. Um, and that's Emil Smith Rowe, um, who I thought was excellent when he come on in that second half, he was driving at people. He wanted the ball. He was chasing down, he blazed one over the bar and then almost scored with an absolute rasper that the keeper just touched over the bar. Um, that would have been that would have been a good reward for the way he played. But I'm I'm hopeful we're going to see him a bit more than we did last year. So I feel like Smith Rowe 
physically is in probably the best position of anybody in the, in the squad right now. And what I mean by that is he's had a, a long-term nagging injury that he finally got corrected. Then he was fit since, what, February of this year, but then barely played. And then, you know, season ended, but he went off with the England under-21s. Which was got, like his preseason. Right, which is like his preseason. So he's kind of already got that under his belt. Yeah. And he 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 won a, a, a trophy, the trophy. So, I mean, his confidence is probably sky high. He's well-rested, but he's fit in a preseason already. So I think um, that's part of the reason why Smith Rowe is looking so good right now. Is and that we're seeing almost... him in that left eight role as well, which we, yep. you know, we've been, you've been talking about for ages. I never really believed it, but we're starting to see it now. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I, I'm all for it. I think he's got a good shot. Um, I think Smith Rowe's got, um, he's proven to be such a big impact off the bench that I think he's going to kind of be destined to be a non-starter, but one of the first subs, um, just because historically he's done really well subbing in and changing a game and scoring goals. Um, but I think he really could have earned that spot. And and I said this before, Gav, but I mean, he looks big, man. He got yeah. He's gotten big. Yeah, yeah, physically he definitely looks definitely looks and that's a good thing because it looks like he's taking it seriously, he's preparing mm-hmm. and he's doing everything he can. You know, Shaka changed his body shape to play there the 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 year before. So I mean it's it all it, it's all good. Um yep. one thing that isn't so good and I want to touch on real quick but not too long. Sure. Um Rob Holding. Um so, yeah. I mean <laughs> it's a disaster for a player that really didn't need any more disasters. I, I don't see any way that he isn't gone in one way or another before the end of the window, whether it's permanent or on loan, but he could really have done without that last night. Yeah, Gav, it, it's sad, you know, to be honest. Um, I, you know, I, look, I love the, I love the player. I, I think he seems like a, you know, a great guy, um, you know, good head of hair, but I just, um, I think that the team has consistently shown that they've moved on from him. And I don't think you could ever get like a more physical sign from above last night after what happened right after coming on, basically. Uh, yeah, I mean, heartbreaking for Rob, but I, I do think it's pretty clear now that uh, for his own career, he should probably move on yeah. this summer. Agreed. Well, if as uh, we talk about a break with Rob Holding, we're going to take a break and come back into the second half. You see the segue? See how I did that? Oh, yeah, that was good. So thank you. Um, so we will see you uh, after the break and we'll get into a little bit of the reaction from this game because I've been quite amused by some of it, especially from Xavi, uh, who's never been one of my favourite people. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll get into that and we'll talk a little bit more about the tour and some, some other stuff that's going on. So uh, we will see you after the break. Hey guys, just a couple of quick halftime messages for you. Firstly, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. It really helps us reach a wider audience, particularly on Apple Podcasts. Secondly, we're on all the social media platforms as The NN Pod. We're really trying to build a strong Guna community. So next time you're on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, look us up, give us a like or a follow, send us a message, interact with other listeners, or, or just have a look around. Thanks for listening from myself, Paz and Jazz. We really appreciate it. 
Welcome back to Non-Negotiables Podcast. This is part two. Just, um my dislike, distaste of the Barcelona team of Xavi and Poyol and Busquets and the goalkeeper, Victor Valdez. Yeah. Couldn't stand any of them. Hated them. Um, never changed. So it was quite funny to see Xavi acting like the prick that he is after the game. Uh, yes, infinitely so. Um, I feel the same way. I've got a um, a hate for Barcelona that I don't even have for some of our uh, more local teams. Um, you know what? I, I, I hated them anyway, but the, the Barcelona shirt on Fabregas was the final spell. And and like part of that was Pepe Reina too, um, another dick. So it's you know I just I I just he, I hate Xavi, hate him. He, he wasn't even a Barcelona player at the time, you know. Mm-hmm. For him to do that, you know, and then and then the Van Persie red card for kicking the ball away one second after the whistle blew. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, oh, they're, okay. they're just <laughs> an awful. They're, they're just an yeah. awful team, and they're. And they get these they get these decisions from refs. And Real Madrid used to get this, right? I remember when we when we played Real Madrid. Um and they got this. As soon as one of their players fall over, it's free kick. And that was a thing with that Barcelona team. You couldn't get the ball off them. Well, no, you couldn't, because whenever you did, the ref blew up and gave them a free kick. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I hated that team. I mean, I, I was literally rooting for like Chelsea in that 2012. Uh, I mean, it, they were just robbed and it, it, it was awful. And I hate to even say those words, but I mean, I think I hate Barca more. I got to be honest. I couldn't go that far, but I, I do detest Barcelona. Oof. But yeah, um, it was funny. Um, I I enjoyed the quotes. I, I chuckled to myself. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, you know, Mas Club, right? I mean, well, the, the the funny thing is, right? It was the old, the old a friendly shouldn't be played like that. They they played with the intensity of a Champions League final while we played like a friendly. Dude, two minutes in, your centre back is kicking our players off the pitch. Like Araujo could have got four red cards in that game. He was awful. Yeah, Araujo was horrible. Um, there was somebody else too that I saw fouled. Uh, let me look at the lineup real quick. Oh God! In Marcos Alonso too. I mean, yeah. I don't remember anything specifically from him off the top of my head, but I mean, Jesus, you know. Well, I mean, the man kills people. So what do you want? <laughs> he's a murderer. That's yeah. you know what more do you have to say about Marcos yeah. Alonso other than he's a murderer? And that's a fact. That's yeah. a fact. It's an it, it's an indisputable fact that Marcos Alonso is a murderer. <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, just you know, uh, I mean, hilarious. I think. Um, it was their first game of preseason uh, where it was our third, fourth, third, third, I think, right? No, uh, I mean, it's the, it's it the matter, fourth right? if you, it's the fourth if you count Nuremberg, but half of our players didn't play. Actually, it's the fifth yeah. if you count Watford. But I mean, I think Marquinhos is about the only one that played in that. And made oh, the yeah, 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 over. that's fair. So, so, I mean. So, really, it's the third. I, I kind of get where he's coming from with that you know, from that perspective. But, I mean, that's me giving him a, a ton of credit, too. I mean, it, his guys seemed way more amped up than, than we were. We just were better. Well, that was it. They couldn't they, they couldn't get hold of the ball when this was the way they, this was the way they dealt with it. Yep. And I think, you know, when you're going to host these high-profile friendies like this, and I know that a lot of it's commercial rather than the playing stuff, but the coaches, like, like Arteta loves this shit. 
He mm-hmm. loves these friends. He doesn't want to be playing Boreham Rudd. These no. are the games that he wants to be playing in. And I'm sure Chavi's exactly the same way. But you cannot play in a stadium like that with 70,000 people in it, really, really fervently cheering teams on and expect the players to wander around like it's some sort of testimonial. You just can't do it. No, absolutely not. And I, I feel like it is um, way more serious than it used to be. And I don't even, I'm not even talking about 20 years ago. I mean, like even six, seven years ago, these felt a lot more like friendlies. And now they feel like, uh, I mean, can can you feel it too? Or am I just uh, nostalgic? But you can, I and there's, there's a, I think there's a few different reasons, right? So firstly, these high profile friendlies, they used to be an oddity. Right. It was something you didn't get very often. Now we've got it every year. We're seeing these we're seeing these high profile friendlies all the time. Mm-hmm. The second thing is, is that they're being held all around the world in front of fans that don't get to see their teams. Right. So 95 percent of Stan Stadium last night will never have seen their team in the flesh before. So you've got that part added into it. And then you've just got the players are just fitter and better prepared than they've ever been. So these players are ready to play at a moment's notice. There is no getting back two stone, sorry, 28 pounds overweight like there used to be back in the day. You know, now these players are doing training camps in their own time to stay fit while they're on vacation. They're coming back primed and ready. So although, yes, it's Barcelona's first game, like, you know, it's our third, whatever, but these players are ready to go. They're not, they haven't been drinking sangria and eating kebabs for the for the last six weeks you know they've been doing intense training courses they've got their own chefs they they do their own training they're not coming back they're not doing and, and like you said it doesn't even go back that long you think you think Ronaldinho was doing this stuff like like that's just no. not what that's just not what players did then they looked after themselves to an extent but now these guys are hyper tuned 12 months of the year yeah yeah and I, I do think that has a lot to do with it um but I I like the point you made um they're they're playing these high profile teams in in huge stadiums that they're selling out um for fans that have never seen them before i think you know at the end of the day it's 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 really all about uh money again um but i do think the the money involved uh makes a big difference on the competitive edge uh my 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 mate i have a mate that supports tottenham uh matthew and I'm he sorry. Was, I know. Yeah. He's not that bad, but he was telling me that their South Korea tour, uh, I think it was last summer. It could have been the summer before. Um, I don't, you know, follow him very close, but, uh, netted them like a a ridiculous amount of money, you know, because they sold out every game. I I mean, I'm sure a lot of it was to do with son. Um, but I mean, you know, they netted like 15 million or something like that in their, their two or three games they did in in uh in south korea and i think the the finance someone's got to pay for richarlison somebody has to yep but you know i think just the money involved now is just in you know it's insane to the point where uh it's it's a it's a much more serious game we basically play it like the charity shield now almost you know and i want to go back to the point that i just made too i think arteta wants it that way i i just i think this is how he wants to tune up like even you know we were we were debating is it going to be um is there going to be a lot of rotation you know are we going to see a lot of rotation and stuff we just didn't he just puts out his best team like we play monaco on wednesday and then we play man city on sunday i wouldn't be surprised if it was the same team both games 
Like, I just, he takes all this stuff seriously. This is how he wants to play. Now, he might be bringing players off after 50 minutes and an hour, but this is how he wants his team up for it all the time. He said that when he was talking about Saka, right, what was it? The best players in the world need to be able to play 55, 60 games a season. Yep. That is how he feels. And, and I don't blame him because I feel the same way. But he wants these games. He wants these competitive games. He doesn't want to be sticking nine past Barnet in a behind closed doors game. No, and I mean, he's not wrong. I mean, I'm sure a game against United, a game against Barcelona, a game against Monaco, that's better preparation than, like you said, like Barnett, Borum Wood, uh, Coventry, no disrespect to those teams or anything. But I mean, you know, it's um, it's it's much stiffer competition. It's much more like what they're going to face in the league. And I feel like preseason is even shorter now. I mean, we have an international tournament almost every summer. Um uh, you know, I, I just, I, I get Mikel's competitive edge here and, and wanting us to play good teams and try out systems and try out players against good competition. And as a fan, personally, I mean, I like it. I would much rather sit down and see Arsenal play Barcelona with the starting 11 for 45 minutes. I mean, you remember Wenger, he used to pull guys after like 2025. I remember the MLS All-Star game not that long ago against Arsenal. Uh, the one Oxlade Chamberlain scored in, I can't remember what year it was, but I mean, we were pulling starting players after like 25 minutes. Um, so I, I, like you don't prepare for a marathon by running around your garden the week before. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, as a, as a fan, I mean, I, I enjoy this higher level of competition. I think him as a manager, he probably enjoys it. Even the players. I mean, I know they're probably working a lot harder. But I think they'd much rather play a Barcelona in front of 70,000 than they'd rather play, you know, uh, Hamburg in front of 20,000 or whatever. You know what I mean? For sure. And these U.S. tours, right, I, I think they're great fun. Like, I, I love these tours. We're obviously I'm based here now. So it's a it's you know, it's a little bit of bias there. But I, I love these tours. But this tour in particular these pitches and these refs. Like, yeah. if you are going to try and get the top teams in the world to keep coming over here, you can't have pitches like we've played on the last the last three weeks. They, they have to get rid of these turf fields. They, but, but the thing is, we're playing in, I guess, we're not really playing in MLS stadiums. We're playing in NFL stadiums. Yeah. But you can't do what, 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 Stan, what Stan Stadium did, which is bring a load of sod in the night before and bring a heavy roller that you use to roll tarmac and run it over the pitch and expect it to be fine. Well, what was the story with SoFi? Wasn't it like they brought in grass for they had a, a concert? Football... Yeah, but they brought in grass for a football game like last week. And then over the weekend, they tore it all off for a yes. concert. And now yeah. they laid fresh sod again. Yeah, and it wasn't taken. So they literally got a steamroller that's used to do the black topping on the roads brought it in to run it over. And you could see it. You could see the gaps in the lines in the grass. I and thought, yeah. You yeah. you can't have that. The 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 pitch at Giant Stadium was was terrible. The pitch at DC United was awful. Yep. You, you just you can't have these top teams coming over here and then and and doing that. Yeah, no, I, I agree hundred percent. The pitches have all been terrible. Um everything we've played in in the US. And I think that if you want to attract these big teams of course, these owners are going to be looking after their pocket, but player safety has to be a huge priority. And these these 
shit pitches are just not good enough. And while we're on the subject, you you touched on it, but referees, I know for a preseason friendly, referees try to keep it 11 v 11 because that's the whole point. But Jesus Christ, I mean, if 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 you had a tackle like Araujo's last night, uh, I can't remember on who it was. Jesus, oh. it was the one, I think you're talking about the one on Jesus that Stuart Robson said was a yes. good tackle. <laughs> yeah, I, I just... The referees and the pitches alone are just a like a season-ending injury waiting to happen. And um, if if the U.S. or even the Middle East, as I'm sure is going to start happening, want to keep hosting these games, they need to set up a better avenue to protect these players. Well, you've got refs that are refing preseason friendlies in games that aren't being played like preseason friendlies. So, yeah. you, you know, you can't have one without the other. It, it's funny that... We said after the All-Star game that Ted Uncle actually did a good job, and Ted Uncle is one of the worst refs you've ever yeah. seen in MLS. But he did a better job than the refs in the last two games we've had. These last two games, they have tried to ref like the friend. Now, they threw some cards about there last night, but nothing like it should have been. It, I, nothing like it should have been. No one was going to get sent off. No, and you can't... If you're going to play a game... If you're going to play these games with this intensity, and these organisers... They need these games to be competitive, right? Because they're selling 70,000 tickets at $100, dollars $400 a pop. If you're in the yep. VIP section, you're paying 1500 bucks to go to these yep. games. If you are trying to sell tickets at that level, you need the game to be competitive. If the game's going to be competitive, you have to have a ref that can deal with it. I can't remember. They said on the broadcast what the ref's full-time job was, and uh-huh. I can't remember what it was, but that's not professional ref out there. That ref had a full-time job. You... Cannot he was he was a salesman for something I'm sure he was, um, but I don't remember that detail. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah they said it on commentary. Yeah, they said he's, oh. he does something for a living, and you can't have that. Like you've got to have full time referees who know what they're doing refing these games because eventually what's going to happen is you've either you're either going to get the serious injury right, and and we've had this before where you've had a serious injury and it derails your season, or one of these games is going to spill over and you're going to see a massive brawl and then it's going to be all over the TV. That is what's going to happen here if these games are not refed correctly. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. On just a, a smaller scale, I mean, you have the the uh, the handball last night. I mean, that was a straight denial of goal scoring opportunity. That yeah, yeah right I, was, I was yeah. absolutely perplexed by that. I, it didn't even get booked. No, I, it didn't. I think that's going in. And yeah. it's a deliberate handball. He's thrown his arm up. It's, yeah, it's up in the air. Like, I mean, and that's just, you know, I mean, I, I, whatever, you know. I mean, we we won and, and we got the penalty and stuff like that. But that's just a good example of what I'm talking about. These referees will let stuff go to keep it 11 v 11 competitive game or, or what. I don't even know what's in their head. I assume that's what's in their head. But it, it's just ridiculous stuff. I mean, it, it's just blatant violation of the rules because it's a preseason friendly, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, that's all it can be. But they, they, you know, you've got to get these. You've got to get the level of these officials up if you're going to keep having this. And yeah. I mean, they're talking. I think it was the mayor of New Jersey, New York. I don't know, one of them that said that they want to host a Champions League game. And then you've got Seferin, the moron in charge of UEFA, who's saying that he quite likes the idea. If you are serious about that, and it's a stupid idea, and I hope it never happens. But if you, if you, if you are on the other side of that argument, and you do want to see it happen. You can't have these pitches and you can't have these referees being broadcast around the world. 
No, absolutely not. And I would hope that for uh, a Champions League final, they'd be pulling from UEFA and not from CONCACAF. Um, but you never know. I mean, with with with, with uh, Seferin and Co. So, but yeah, the pitches, they've got to be sorted. And it, again, kind of goes back to these, these um, you know, the stadiums do so much more now than just host games. You know, they're all hosting. I know, I know uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium specifically is hosting NFL games and concerts and stuff like that all the time. That's they're multi-use all- venues, right? That's what they are. Giant stadium. Yeah, Netlife, they're overuse venues. They're yep. a multi-use stadium. That's why MLS have the rule about the soccer-specific stadiums that are yep. built for that. They can do other stuff, but they're built specifically for football. The yep. problem with that is that none of the stadiums are big enough to host a game like this. Yep. And they're going to have that in the World Cup over here. You can't use any of the MLS. We've got these beautiful stadiums in MLS, right? Orlando, St. Louis, Minnesota. These are beautiful stadiums. Can't yep. use them because they're all 30,000 and under. Yep. And you can't yep. build them bigger than that because you'll, you'll, it looks stupid. Yep. And I mean, on top of that, you know, uh, the, the, the nice NFL stadiums that host uh, MLS teams are, I think, uh, they're all turf, aren't they? Seattle, um, Atlanta, Atlanta, um, New England. Uh, I mean, most of, most of, most of MLS now are, I mean, except, except New York City, who hilariously are owned by the same people who own Man Man City, yet they play in the New York Yankees baseball stadium. Yeah, which the pitch doesn't even the pitch isn't even the right dimensions. It's right. it's hilarious. Well, New England, the New England Revolution, they're uh, OGs. They've been in the league since 1996. They're still in Gillette Stadium on turf. Uh, yeah, but fuck Boston. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So anyway, that that definitely is something that needs something that needs looking at. I think to keep doing these tours, and I, I hope we do keep doing these tours. I mean, I think you know we probably will go somewhere else next year because this will be two years in a row. But I'm guessing every every three or four years we're going to be out here doing this. And they've you know it's just something they've got a lot of it right. That's the thing. They've got the fan zones, the fan activity. Yep. You know, they've got all of that so right. But they've just got that one part of it wrong. And I expect that. You mean that the the, the game the game part where they where they yeah, play the, bit, the actual playing bit <laughs> is the bit they've got fixed <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but, they, but you know what i mean though like the yeah, whole atmosphere no, no, yeah. around it, it 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 works and it is amazing to watch but you, you yeah they've got to get them they've got to get them parts of it right yeah i agree 100 percent, man yeah it's 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 shocking how bad these pitches have been in in all three games so far so moving on there was a very interesting interview that Declan Rice gave to Sky Sports. Um, and he, it was a, it was a really good interview. He interviews really well, really well. Like he was excellent in all his uh, arsenal.com stuff that he did. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was a few things that is kind of, it's almost confirmation bias, right? Because he's just telling us what we, we already think we know. Um, but I did like the, I did like the quote that he's already seeing football differently and you think you know all about football, and then you meet Mikel Arteta, and you realize you don't know anything about football. Yeah, I like that one as well. Um, and it really just kind of points to what I think we've been getting hints about a lot. Even different players and managers have said things about Mikel Arteta, but I think he's clearly, I mean, we we probably have a bit of a prodigy here, Um there's been several managers, uh, you know, Pep, uh, 
Pochettino, Moyes that have all said he's just at a different level. And now that we're a, a little bit more attractive to the point where we're, we've got some weight to pull in these bigger players. And we have all these players lining up to just say, after one conversation with Mikel, um, you know, I, I knew Arsenal was my home. Um, so I think, you know, he, he's just got to be, you know, a hell of a speaker and, and, and tactician. He probably has Declan's entire life planned out exactly what he's going to do, exactly where he sees him, the whole vision. Um, man, it, it makes me just want to have a single conversation with him and see what he thinks about me, you know? You think he might, like, change your career and stuff? I think, yeah, he'd probably change my life. <laughs> but you can you can see our enamored Rice's with him. And this is always yeah. something that's been going on for months. Yeah. When they've sat down and done all the plans and stuff before he even got into the training sessions with him. And obviously, it was always going to be an adaptation for Rice to come to, to such a massive club and a, a manager that thinks so differently about the game than anyone that he's that he's had before. But you can tell how much he's bought into this. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he looks really committed. And I'm sure, um, you know, uh, uh, Arteta came to us directly from Moyes. So I'm sure he can, you know, relate. Um, but yeah, Declan Rice looks completely bought in. I mean, to be fair, Havertz said after one conversation he wanted to come here at Timber, couldn't stop smiling after he met Arteta. There is something there. I mean, the guy's just got to be charismatic as hell. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, I just want to talk about that real quick because I do. I just really enjoyed that interview. And I, like I said, I think Rice speaks so well. And just some of the things he was saying, it, it does. It, it really makes you makes you think about how how Arteta's grown. Really, when you think he, he's only been in this job a few years, and just just the level that he's got to this quickly. I remember there was a a, a pretty persistent opinion in the fan base not that long ago that he must have been kind of an abrasive character because of everything that happened with like Guendouzi, mm-hmm. uh, Obama Yang, you know, kind of pushing other players out, Ozil. Um, but I mean, obviously that's not the case. I mean, well, I don't know. I think that might be the case because if you look at the players he pushed out, they're just not his type of characters. They're they're, they're different characters to the players he's bringing in. It might just be he doesn't want those sort of players. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that's actually a really good point. Um, it does seem like the guys that he's pushed out have been, um, you know, a little more egotistical already think they made it you know, it, you know, that kind of character, everybody that buys into his philosophy seems to love him though. Yeah. I mean, look, even Rob Holding's still here. Mm-hmm. So it's, I mean, it's, it, I think he's a character thing with him. I do think he can be abrasive. Uh, I think he can, I think he can be, I think he can be a real little terror to deal with. I would, I would imagine you can see that in him, but I, I just think it's one of them where for, the players who want to work, the players that want to win, the players that he has kind of almost a mind melt with. I just think for them, he's probably going to be the best thing that's ever happened to their careers and and they all know it. Yeah, you're probably right. I hate to make this comparison. I do. I really hate it. But um, it kind of reminds me of like an early Jose Mourinho in the sense Before it turns poisonous. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that's going to happen. That'll be one to watch. Um, cause you know, I mean, this is first job, so we don't really know long-term what it's going to be like, but there were many, you know, players that bought a hundred percent into Jose and, and would run through a brick wall for him. And, um, you know, I'm not saying I have concerns. I don't, um, 
but you know definitely definitely an interesting uh parallel there i think yeah it's, I've, I've heard that mentioned before um but even with even with jose right to the end there are still players that, yep. that are like that with Mourinho. and there's others that aren't and maybe it was just as he aged obviously the difference between him and the players gets greater you know you've got to remember that Arteta's what 15 years 20 years younger than Mourinho. So, yeah, yeah. so he's got to be 15 years younger than him. So that golf just gets bigger and I think it gets harder to connect. And I think that's, that could be part of it too, is that it, he, he connects with the younger players in a way that older managers perhaps don't. Yeah. And I think he's also, you know, he, he's played at a really high level too, which um, I think earns some respect as well. I don't think Mourinho ever made it very far. I think there, there's a level of, um uh uh like buying in because Mikel was you know he played for Everton he played for Arsenal he was you know a captain well, there's uh, there's going to be you know we we talked before about the posters and the history going yeah, back up yeah. in the training ground there's going to be pictures of him lifting trophies yep exactly hallway, yep. you know yep. as a player and and not that long ago yeah yeah so i think there there is um a, a great amount of relating he can do to even this current current crop of players you know, he would have already seen the younger kids uh, coming up and, and, you know, just had more of an understanding with them, I think, than than some of the uh, the older managers now could. So let's move on to transfers a little bit. Uh, okay. We, you know, we've, there's still, there's still basically a month of the window left. Yeah. Um, but the one that seems to have been doing the rounds is, Eddie to Crystal Palace. Um, I have no idea how serious this is. With with Balogun training on his own and basically not getting any minutes out there, you know, or or barely any minutes out there, it, it looks like Balogun's going to be gone, right? I, I just at this point I can't see how Balogun stays. I think the fact that we're on the US tour and we sent Balogun away to train by himself and he's not involved in these games yeah i think that's telling um if nothing else we could have um you know made kind of a big deal about the marketing but we chose not to i i think balligan's out the door yeah i do too i think he's gone i think it's just a case of if i don't know if they're talking to anybody yet or they're waiting for people to come in i think it's just a case of the number being hit which makes this eddie stuff more interesting to me we've had this debate three times right if you sell Balogun what do you do we might be about to find out I, I just I these reports I haven't seen them put it this way it's not Ornstein giving us these reports right. so yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. don't know we don't know how true these reports are but if it is 35 million I don't see any way we can say no for ballot for Eddie for Eddie yeah for Eddie yeah no, 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 I agree. 100%. Even with Balogun being out the door, that was my point on Balogun really was that I just think it's over for him. And looking at the looking at Eddie to Palace, I think they've both got a lot to do with each other. There's no way we say no to 35 million. I even have my doubts it's going to be that high. But oh, I'd be shocked if it was that high. I'd be shocked. I've said before, I think I, I think 20 million would be a good price for, for him with his wages. Yeah, I do too, actually. Yeah, I do too. Um, wages are are very high. He's got a long term contract. Um, not that that really matters to the selling club, I guess, at this point. But um, honestly, Gav, I think they're both going to go. Well, I think if there's interest in Eddie, 
the club will let both of them go is what I should say. We've got to get someone else if we if we do that, I think. I mean, I, I don't know you can just say, okay, well, Trossard's then the backup there. I, I think you have to get someone else if that's the case. Well, and then Havertz. Yeah, Havertz. Those three. I, 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 don't think it, I don't think Arteta's going to want to take him out of that left eight position, though. I just don't see it. So, again, I mean, I'm a little biased, but I, I do. I definitely think we have more players we could fill in that left eight position. We could even do Party and then Rice in that left eight, Smith Rowe, Vieira. That's not going like, like It's not. You're, you are. I'm telling you right now, you are never going to see Declan Rice playing in that eight position. You're not going to okay. see it. He was yeah, brought no. to play defensive midfielder. That's what he was sold on. That is where he's going to play. He's okay, not so, going to play that left eight. So I could absolutely see a double pivot then with Odegaard in the 10. Yeah, I mean, that's that's a possibility. I I just think, we have, I think we have to buy a striker. If, we, if, if those two go, I think we have to buy a striker. And if you're going to buy a striker... I don't think it makes sense to aim for anything less than better than what you have. I don't think it's that hard to get better than what we have, though. You don't? Who are you going to get better than Jesus? Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I, I thought you were comparing it to Eddie and Balogun. No, no, no. I think oh. if, you, if you, I think if you I think if you're going to go out, right, if you look at these prices, these strikers are going for, right? Yep. They're talking about 80 plus million for Rasmus Hoyland. Yeah, that's insane. Like, that's yeah. that's nuts. So I'm saying that if you want, who have you got? Who Nobody you can say. Nobody. He's going to come in and be better. I mean, you've got Victor Osman, who's going to cost you what? 150 million? million. Yeah. So so who else? Who else is out there? I mean, obviously we ain't getting Harry Kane. Well, I don't. <laughs> not getting Harry Kane. <laughs> I, I, he's not... free next year, mate, and he was an Arsenal fan. I mean. I don't want to see it, but it would be funny. It would be funny. I mean, I don't for the Bams, it, it would be it would be hilarious if he came to us on a free, broke the Premier League scoring record at ours, and won the double. It, it would be hilarious, but bigger uh, than Campbell. I, it, oh, it, it would be so funny. But I, 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 I it's yeah, not no, going to no, happen, I, and I'm quite fine with not happening because I mean, I want to get into a tangent on this because again, it's never going to happen. But I, you know, he doesn't suit our style of play or anything like that. And that's but th- this brings us back around. To this again, if you do have to bring in a striker, man, I don't know where we. And this is why I. This is why I was veering towards before. If Balogun goes, Eddie stays, because I don't think there's any point in selling Balogun and Eddie and then buying a like for like player. I just I don't see. I don't see the point of selling them two and buying Ollie Watkins. It, it just I don't see any. I don't see any sense in that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, this is kind of a tough one for me because I think we've seen what Eddie can do now. And I'm not saying he can't get better, but I don't think Eddie's going to get better in the bit part role that we have for him. And again, my biggest issue with Eddie is his lack of impact off the bench, which is absolutely what you need. I agree with you. I agree with you 100% on that. My point isn't about Eddie and it's not about... Balogun. My point is, is that there's no point in selling them to bring in the same player who's going to be more money, who's going to be on more money. I I just, I don't see the point in selling the pair of them and buying Ollie Watkins. I I, I don't see the point. Let let me tell you, like, I'd be okay with with buying someone like Tyz Dalinga. Are you familiar with this player? I have no idea who that is. I thought that was a rapper. Okay. No, 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 no. This is just an example, but he's a he's a Dutch striker that's just breaking into the Dutch national team, but he's like six foot five 
He's fast, good with his head, good dribbler. Have you mispronounced Morton Veghorst? Uh, he's way. He's going to be like he'll probably step into Veghorst's position. I think in the in the national team, he plays in League One for I can't remember the club off. But this is like I said, this is just an example. If we can get somebody that's like a bit more of a target man, that's different from Jesus, that's still young because uh, Delinga's twenty two, I believe. Um, I'd be all for something like that. Do you know what I mean? See, I all wouldn't. For- I wouldn't. I'd be against that. I would be absolutely against that. I think we've got enough of those players in this team. If what, what players do we someone, have? What, what well, players? We've, do got, we have we've got a team with an average age of about twenty-four. Right, our first, our first team. I don't think we are in a position where we need to be going out and buying players of potential, especially especially players who could be looking at playing a big part. Right, whoever the backup to Jesus is could have a big part next season. Yeah, I would exactly, much rather but- go out and buy the finished article, a proper player, and have Jesus be the one that steps back a little bit. Oh, I absolutely would too. Sorry, not to, to be clear, I would too, but who who is that? There's five top strikers in the yeah, world. And right you've now, got to probably. go get one of them. I think and most of them are those two. I think if, if you, you let those two go, I think you have to go get one of them. I, I don't think you can let those two go and then go buy a 19-year-old that might be good. Hmm. I mean, it'd be only Vlaovic. Who I don't think is better than Jesus, so I wouldn't buy him. Yeah, I mean well, that's I, it. I, though. I don't see it. Yeah, yeah. Can oh, you no, name it's, another? Yeah, it's tough. I mean, you've got you've got, like I said, Victor Osserman is the one that you look at and you think, yeah, if he yeah, comes in, course. he starts. You know, I yeah. think he's the he's the one that for the right money, I think is gettable, but it is a huge amount of money. We'd be yep. smashing a transfer record that we've only yep. just smashed. Yep. Um, but I, 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 I would like. I don't see the point of getting 45 million or 50 million for Balogun, 25 million for Eddie, and then going and paying 80 million for Hoyland. I, I just, I don't see the point in that. I don't either. Yeah. I don't either. But what I'm saying is you can, you can count the, the, the number of strikers better than Jesus that are available. Oh, on absolutely. One that's why, on one hand. that's yeah. why we're looking at the money that we're looking at for Balogun. And I, I want to be really clear on this. I'm not having a go at Balogun. But if he's a forty million pound player, Jesus Christ! Like it's a joke. These prices—they're an absolute joke, and a lot of it is the lack of other options. Like I said, Hoyland—they're talking about eighty million. It's a joke. He had nine goals last year. Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ludicrous. And you're not talking about nine goals playing against nineteen ninety Milan. Yeah. You know this this Serie A is a lot higher scoring than it used to be. So I, I just, I don't know. I don't see the point in that. Um, so anyway, moving on to some other things. It, yeah, well, I, just, I don't see anything else that can really be no, said, yeah, yeah, really yeah, be said there. But you've, you know, the, the Kudos thing is still going around. I, I, I did read today that he's, he kind of, he wants to go to us if he can, but we're not really in the market at the minute. Lavia, Chelsea. Yeah. Chelsea and, do, yeah. Yeah. And Lavia, it, it kind of looks like Lavia is probably going to go to Liverpool, although they're saying that Chelsea might move there as well. But I think that might be Chelsea just trying to call Brighton's bluff. And uh, if there are any Chelsea fans listening, why? But if you are, like, trust me, playing hardball with Brighton, it's not going to work. Like, you're not going to scare Brighton into dropping a price. Yeah, I mean, what you know, this isn't a Chelsea podcast, but I got to be honest, I, I'd probably walk away at this point. They had an eighty million pound bid rejected. Um, today Again, it's going to come down to options. Where else do they go? Where else do I they think, go? 
Yeah. I mean, so, I think you get a defensive midfielder easier than a striker right now, yeah, but not but, much easier. But these prices are just insane. All of these prices are, these. are insane and they're, they're getting worse. And I think, mean, you know, and they're part of the ones causing it too. They're looking for 40 million for Connor fucking Gallagher. They so did you, you cause it. They cost it. Yeah, of course they did. But you can't yeah. complain. It's it's like West Ham can't complain at the prices they're being charged because they just charged us 105 for Declan Rice. Man yep. United are complaining about how much people are costing. They want 50 million for Scott McTominay. Like, <laughs> it, it's crazy. Everyone's, everyone, I don't know. I don't even know how to explain what's going on. We, we I think we bought heavily from the Premier League for like the last time we'll probably do it. Yeah, with it, it was interesting because that was us putting together this squad, right? Yep. This yep. is the final squad with, a, with maybe a little cherry on top to come. But this is the squad. This is what we've been building towards. Yep, exactly. Yeah, I don't see us buying from the Premier League in the future. Just, just because the prices are insane. And now all we're going to be doing is supplementing an already good squad. We've got the pieces in place. Um, like you said, maybe, you know, a, a cherry on top uh, to put in your words. But um it's insane to buy in the Premier League right now. It's insane to buy everywhere. And, and like, and as soon as you're a Premier League club, the, the price goes up. You know, when, when PSG is saying that's too rich for our blood, you know <laughs> that it's, you know, you know that it's, it's nuts. Yeah. Yeah, so, it really is. Yeah. Um, it, I mean, you, yeah. Have you heard anything else that's, that's worth talking about? I mean, I haven't seen us linked with any left backs. I saw some crazy guys say we'd offered Ben White and 50 million for Bernardo Silva. Which I, I thought I, yeah. was just I thought that was hilarious. I, I don't know what that guy was that guy was smoking when he put that one out. Yeah, uh, absolute nonsense. Yeah. Yeah. And and someone else was saying that uh, Arsenal are looking for a right back because we've only got like nine of them. Yeah. Um so I, you know, I, I don't Edric is still here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he's he's still he's still in the picture. See what yeah. I did. Yeah, um, yeah, I like it. So um, but no, I I've not heard any other rumors. I this is just this is slowed down until we sell, right? That's that's kind of what it is. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, I think um, our squad's really big right now. Um, it's huge. Yeah, it's huge. Yeah. yeah, so it's not so much about finances. I mean, obviously, it's always a little about finances, but um, we've got to shed some some weight here before we um, bring anybody in. I'll be honest, though, Gav, I am a little disappointed if uh, we miss out on Lavia. This isn't like somebody I'm like desperate to have or anything. But man, I, think I, I, don't, that, I don't think there's any chance of that now. Yeah, I no, I don't. I don't either. I think yeah, he's like Liverpool. Kind of have to make that deal happen, right? They kind of do, yeah. And then now Chelsea is looking at him for their plan B on Caicedo. Um, but man, he would just be such a nice insurance policy to have. Um, but yeah, yeah you're I, right. It's it's not. Gonna I happen. don't think it's going to happen. I think he's going to move before we before we get there. So yeah. it's all about the outgoings over the next over the next week or so. I think next couple of weeks. Yeah. So, okay, right. mate. All right. Well, thanks a lot for uh, coming on tonight. It was a fun one after uh, after a good performance last week. So um, we'll reconvene on uh, we'll reconvene Monday or Tuesday and, and go for. Obviously, we've got no game in between, so we'll we'll see what's happening then, and we'll look forward to the Monaco game and the ever important Emirates Cup. Yep. Sounds good. All right, mate. Good night. All right. Good night.